The views expressed in this episode by Mr. Girija Pandey are in his personal capacity and does not represent any institutional view. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to our fourth episode of the Voices Dialogue Season 3. As those listeners who have been following this season closely will know, uh, we've been focusing on mental health, a topic that's fraught with complexity, misunderstanding, stigma, and quite a bit of avoidance strategies. I'm Rohit Segal, Chief Strategist and Editor with The Voices Project, and let me refresh for our listeners who we are and why we do what we do. Essentially, we're a group of like-minded health editors, researchers, technical advisors, and writers who've spent a career in trying to track the evolution of healthcare in parts of the developing world, particularly Asia Pacific. The Voices Project's ultimate objective is to try and let voices, uh, Asian voices, global voices be heard and amplified with a view to identifying and promoting public health priorities. We believe that by empowering these multilateral voices, we seek to expand a collective understanding of how public healthcare issues take form in the region's context and possibly even give learnings from a uh, global point of view as well. We're supported by Sovereign Health and independent Singapore registered healthcare and life sciences group and stems from a singular passion for improving public health issues facing our world today. We are here as technical advisors and collaborative partners to WHO's Western Pacific Regional Office and we strive to work with various state and non-state actors to help accelerate Priority SDG 2030 goals. And throughout this season, you're gonna be hearing from a diverse set of voices who each represent a holistic outlook on mental health and perceived disorders, but you know, they also hold really strong experience and opinions on what needs to be done about it. And I'm really excited that for this episode, I'm joined by Girija Pandey, Chairman of Apex Advisors and Chairman of the Institute of Mental Health Board Committee, board member of the National Health Group Singapore. And it's part of a personal capacity that brings Girija here today. I'm so delighted to have you here, Girija. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you for inviting me. Now, Girija, mental health, particularly as we're going to discuss today in the Singapore context and uh, adolescence and youth, is something that you're driven by, you're passionate about. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself and what's been driving you? Well, I've been uh, involved with uh, mental health specifically and hospital affairs for the last four or five years. But before that, of course, I've done many things in, in financial services across Asia in technology. I serve on many board committees, etc. So, I, I mean, there is a wide thing, number of things that I do. But I have always had a view that at the end of the day, healthcare is going to be very critical. And healthcare includes both mental and physical health. And I think when I got the opportunity to chair Institute of Mental Health, I gladly took it on. I have seen mental health in the community, both in Singapore and elsewhere. I've seen it in my own family and a wider extension of the family, where because of stigma, mental health was hidden under the carpet. And mental health was seen as some kind of an outlier and some kind of a illness which could never be uh, resolved. So I think we've 
I've had this experience and I've always wanted to see. Then we get into COVID, which has created a bigger, what I call a hidden pandemic of mental health across the world, not just in Singapore. And we in Singapore have also been affected quite a bit. And in fact, it has led to a demand to create an interministerial committee of ministers in the government to look at this whole area of what I call mental wellness and mental illness. Mm. And I think we are looking at this wide spectrum of mental wellness and mental illness. And that is what interests me. That is what excites me. Uh, I want to see uh, our Institute of Mental Health as a prime uh, tertiary institute in Asia. And we are taking steps towards that. Now, you, you talk about stigma, and we live in a region that obviously, when it comes to uh, mental equilibrium, mental health, suffers a lot from the issue of stigma. And for our listeners, um, a little bit of statistics that's always helpful, a 2017 study on mental health stigma in Singapore's youth found that nearly half of the respondents associated mental illness with negative derogatory terms, stupid, dangerous, crazy, weird, while a similar percentage said that they would be very embarrassed if they were diagnosed with a mental illness. So Girija, is it therefore in a way not surprising that according to another study, 2018 mental health survey was conducted in fact by uh, IMH, the Institute of Mental Health, that approximately 14% of Singaporeans have actually suffered from some form of mental health condition in their lifetime, yet don't seek any form of help because those who do, may possibly either you know, worry about the stigmatization, the isolation, or they only go after it's a significant delay and therefore you know, has a much more uh, bigger issue. What, what would be some, I guess, perspectives to that? So this is a, in a way, a broad spectrum of illnesses which are sort of put under mental health. If you look at, as I said, wellness, you have a very common anxiety and disorder anxiety disorder and depression as part of wellness. You feel well if you don't have anxiety and depression. Now, if you ask people, a lot of them have gone through different patches of anxiety and depression, right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 now, so where do we start with saying what, so when you say that only 14, 15% are there, I think it's underestimated. I right. think there is a wider section of people who get impacted by, by anxiety and depression. So that's one area of what I call wellness, that you feel good, you feel well, and that is what we want to do, right? The others are the whole area of psychosis where you get impacted by various uh, challenges of, you know, on one side you have disabilities, on the other side you have, uh, I mean, if you can include neural diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia, so two sides. And then in between you have all kinds of issues of uh, schizophrenia, uh, various issues, you know, which, which we term as psychosis, uh, mm -hmm. in which there is a mental disorder, which needs to be corrected uh, through uh, interventions. Uh, so I think we, we, we I, I think given the stigma that exists, especially in Asian societies on this one, I think it is underestimated. I think it is much larger. Mm -hmm. We are doing another study and I think it will determine, and we first need to define what mental illness is and mental wellness. I think we need to sort of get a little clarity, clarity on this issue. But my sense is that this is actually uh, underestimated. 
mm. by 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 long shot yeah. especially yeah. after this uh, hidden pandemic as i call the mental health pandemic after covid uh, yeah. in the past two years and i'm talking about not only singapore but i am quite sure that when i read material and talk to people in other countries it's the same story mm. yeah that's what well, that's, that's that's quite true especially the isolation and the uh, disruption in i guess what was conventional societal interaction yeah. last couple of years no change is easy and as such as major change in your lifestyle your your jobs your going to school colleges your interaction socially has all been impacted and all this impacts mental health in a big way i mean all of us have gone through uh, lockdowns and the the anxieties and depression with lockdowns Mm. Yeah. I mean it's almost to say that because of the stigmatized element you know it's it's funny because back you know no no one is stigmatizing well to a certain extent physical ailments right so when it comes to certain types of cancer or you know whether it's uh, chronic diseases osteoarthritis and so on uh, there's still a certain acceptance you know it may get more spiritual in nature but you know it uh, doesn't have the amount of stigma as mental uh, illness or the debate around mental wellness is and a term that um, the world health organization here in the in, in this region the western pacific region under which singapore falls is been to refer to reaching the unreachable uh, and it's probably no more true than in the case of as you said a much more under the surface amount of undiagnosed uh, uh, mental conditions or let's say the lack of equilibrium in some respects uh, so being able to reach the unreachable by way of any form of support here's another statistic for our uh, listeners in Indonesia for you as well that uh, singapore has one of the lowest rates of psychiatrists amongst comparable similar high income nations and it's something like three psychiatrists for every 100000 residents now by comparison if you look at australia similar sort of in terms of high income has about 13 14 psychiatrists per 100 now that's not to say that we further push let's say the condition of mental health into the space of psychiatry right it's not something like that either but does this have some sort of a um, an impact that we are not necessarily supporting from a, uh, a specialist point of view enough specialists to look after the particular conditions so you raised a couple of issues here uh, the first one is uh, you know if cancer and other physical ailments are acceptable but mental health is not and that is true mm-hmm. mental health in an asian context is seen as a weakness in the personality is seen as your problem you should you should be able to get over it no one sees mental health as a illness mm-hmm. so that's the first problem with mental health versus physical health because physical health can be measured you can say okay you have diabetes so therefore your sugar is so much or you got cancer therefore you got this test and that test mental health is very difficult unless you do some very serious testing so part of the problem is defining mental health and the view that the society holds on mental health as a weakness in personality right that has to change and that leads to that whole story of stigmatization because if you say it's weakness in your personality then you don't want the rest of the world to know mm-hmm. whereas in cancer you don't worry about it or a heart or a diabetes patient so i think we have to change this and this is one of our biggest roadblocks mm-hmm. stigmatization uh, and i think we when i was in national council of social service because this is a social service issue as well mm-hmm. we 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 ran a, a program in in singapore called beyond the label 
where we said disabilities, mental health, these are, you know, they're people who are normal people. They suffer from some illness that can be cured. So that's how we, 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 we have to handle it. Not easy, but uh, we are trying uh, uh, to, to do that. So that's the first issue on, on the other issue which you raised was, you know, do we have enough psychiatrists per 100,000 people? Listen, I think in Asian context, I mean, the cases you're mentioning is a very Western context, which is a very open society where they want to talk about it. I mean, the US, everyone has a psychiatrist, accountant, and a, and a, and a lawyer, mm -hmm. right? We don't have that. And neither do we aspire to do that, frankly. Right. <laughs> but uh, we are now struggling uh, and coming to grips with the issue that both, see the issue is physical health gets impacted by mental health and mm -hmm. vice versa. Correct. So now we are seeing it as a continuum in our, you know, in the new program that uh, the government has launched on Healthier Singapore. We are very clearly saying that these are both together and we will treat people coming into our polyclinics and uh, primary uh, doctors in a very similar way. So for the first time, we are recognizing that there is an interdependency between mental health and physical health, mm -hmm. especially in the wellness side, right? So, and, and we need to treat it uh, at the primary level if possible, so that we don't need to take it to the tertiary level. Mm -hmm. But physical health is, I mean, blood pressure is directly related to people's depression and anxiety. That's right. Take the simple thing like that, right? Yeah. That's so, true. so we we we've got to uh, understand that uh, we are seeing this as a continuum. So, uh, uh, do you need a sort of thera a therapist or a psychiatrist? You know, so mm -hmm. there's another story of what levels of intervention do you want? Mm -hmm. Psychiatrist, counselor, therapist have slightly different roles. You know, mm -hmm. one is licensed to to medicate. Mm -hmm. The others are, you know, talking to you and speaking to you and understanding your, uh, you know, the Freudian mm -hmm. ego and, you know, super ego. Mm -hmm. So the whole psychological makeup is addressed. So I think we, 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 we are not, we are not saying that we have enough of them. It's not easy to find, but we need to sort of decide how many psychiatrists should we have? So how many counselors and therapists we have? Because some of those roles are preventive roles. Yeah. And we need to do a huge amount of training in society to train them up. And we are doing that. Mm -hmm. We have to train people who, to, who can figure out that there is a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. uh, there is uh, initial uh, uh, discussions can lead to more information and probably uh, lead to some, some level of uh, understanding of what the person is going through. Mm -hmm. So you don't need uh, kind of top psychiatrists for everything. Uh, yes, you do need it for a, a secondary or tertiary issues of uh, mental illness, where you need to uh, medicate, uh, use medication uh, to, to treat those. But as we are seeing, all of them are treatable. I mean, most of them are treatable. And uh, we need to have that confidence that we can do it. And the society has to sort of take it upon itself. And the wider issue is actually mental uh, wellness because the, the 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 bigger prevalence is of in the in the in the overall scheme of things is uh, wellness which is basically around anxiety and uh, depression yeah 
what, what, you're, what you're saying, Girija, almost really brings to the fore exactly the fact that on a societal level, uh, this general lack of awareness, urgency, deeper understanding, uh, and, and also the public resources, right, that can come to it, as you said, the idea that this is a societal uh, factor that needs to be looked at, not a illness factor, as, as, as always, seems to almost be perpetuating the negative impact on the general public's perception on this wide umbrella statement of mental health. And as you're pointing out, and we'll, 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 we'll cover this in a bit as well, about how do we widen the remit of community-based programs that can make mental health more inclusive. Yeah. Now, part of what you said has also been coming up in this series, and uh, some of our other speakers have said things similar, is that um, a lot of the funding that tends to go, again, global statistics show that uh, a bulk of the funding, maybe three quarters or more, tends to go straight into mental institutions, mental hospitals, and so on. But as you're also bringing up, uh, perhaps Singapore is looking at methodologies or systems where we could be looking at redirecting funding towards primary community-based services, integrating it perhaps into more normalized general healthcare settings. Would you exclude aspects like schools, community centers, other sort of education points or touch points? No, we will include everything. We are including everything. We are really going for the whole of society solution to this. It's not easy, but I think we are addressing the issue at the school level, at the social sector level, with social service partners, agencies. We are addressing it, of course, at the mental health and our hospital level, at primary care level. So it is a whole of society approach that we'll have to take. And that's what we are doing. Now, within this issue, um, uh, youth mental health is a, is a bigger problem. Uh, and we need to, because that will impact society in future, right? So we need to get this youth mental health issue uh, really under control. And as you just gave those statistics, that is one of the highest uh, segment which we see, you know, for anywhere between 16 to 30. And uh, what we are doing is, is interesting. We have created a what we call a community health assessment teams. It's called a chat team. These teams have been talking to uh, various, so there are two roles there. One is to talk to those who want to address their issues of mental wellness and health, mental illness, and also to spread the gospel in the community, train people up. So we have a youth ambassador program, chat ambassador program, uh, this whole, the assessment team. So we do the, so it, it, it comprises of doctors, community, youth support workers, we call them case managers, uh, engagement officers, administrators, providing the free confidential mental health assessment for young people between 16 to 30. Mm -hmm. We do that. And we've got rooms where they can come in if they want physically. We have, uh, you know, WhatsApp services, a text page messaging. Uh, and this is the outreach that we want to do to make the awareness of uh, mental health. It is nothing wrong in having it. It can be cured. It's like you have a common fever. Don't, don't, do you get worried? No, you know, you, know, you can take antibiotics or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's what we are doing. We are taking it to colleges. We are taking it to schools, Institute of Higher Learning to spread this message. And, 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 and the good news is that it is getting around. People are realizing that this is a big issue. I think the fact that it's been talked about by even the prime minister in his speeches uh, has raised the awareness issue uh, that this can be, has to be addressed and it can be addressed. And I think that's what, what we are doing in the 
in the in the youth, which I think is a critical segment in any society, uh, in youth mental health. And I'm particularly uh, keen to see that this program uh, really uh, takes off, uh, and 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 we we address this issue in much more wider form, open debates. Uh, you know, we need to just have that. Otherwise, you can never drive the stigmatization out of this. Exactly. Exactly. You will never get a, unless we can see the Western society, I think, has taken parts of the stigmatization out. Going to a therapist or a psychiatrist is not considered any, any, anything uh, unusual. Whereas here, people hide it. They prefer to go to a GP, talk to him. I mean, in traditional societies. <clears throat> If you do that, you can't get a job, you can't get married if someone knows that you are going visiting this. So, you know, all yeah. those issues which bedevil uh, an individual who's suffering from it is, is, is really has to be put out in the open. And yeah. society has to deal with it. Exactly. It's interesting you mentioned chat, the uh, community health assessment team. Now, health assessment tools and such like are becoming more and more apparent by utilizing and leveraging technology. And as you said, this uh, youth demographic, the younger group, 16 to 30, um, digital nativity and the ability to have a lot more uh, interaction or integration with technology. So bringing, let's say, those who need some of that assessment, those who are providing the assessment, the hospitals, uh, there must be a lot of technology, I guess, that's also now playing a role in, in, in bringing these groups together. Yes, of course, and we have to use it. And uh, so I think there are then two levels. The first level is a lots of apps, which are sort of mind calming apps. Right, right. And in fact, there's a famous one we started earlier was the Calm, mm. which you get free on your Apple iPhone, right? Uh, so it ranges from playing music to soothing music to doing your own uh, exercises, uh, meditation, uh, mindfulness. So all those are the, for quietening the mind and uh, handling it. So there's that, and a lot of apps, there's, wise, there's so many of them around the world. Uh, in Singapore, we have a, a Milo <laughs> app as well, for particularly for Singaporeans. Right. So we've got quite a few of that app. And I think people, youngsters are using it. So that's good news because they are so much digital natives. They, they are always on their uh, phones and social. So that, that's one side. The other side is using technology, and we are trying to experiment with that in, in, in predictive. And so we use analytics to predict behaviors. Can we have, uh, you know, if we, now that we are uh, sort of recording lots of illnesses and wellness and issues, and we can use that to, to predict uh, behaviors. So I think that area will be an interesting area to watch. And uh, predictive analytics in mental health will be quite a, uh, so we call it a, a, a sort of digital analytics of mental health. Uh, and, and I think that's something which we, we need to do as well. So uh, that requires, of course, a lot of data and things like that, but it's something which we are uh, thinking of. So there's a lot of, then the third area is not just technology, it's also research. Uh, we are got a separate research department which is pretty uh, well uh, staffed up and we are looking at uh, a lot of areas of research. Uh, some of it is across Asia as well. Uh, we need to be sort of thought leaders in, in this area uh, and we're publishing white papers, uh, presenting papers. Uh, 
because there are some diseases which you know mental well illness diseases which need to be discussed on on medication and some of those issues but you know there is a whole wellness so we have a good research team a lot of research is going around in singapore and other areas in this area and i'm glad to say that uh, money is being made available for such research mm. it's it's interesting because be it in the area of mental health mental wellness or even in the area of aging let's talk about aging i know that's not the direct focus but you know it's always been said that health literacy now is equally important to say digital literacy and in some respects perhaps for mental health and for the youth and adolescents uh, social and emotional literacy so i think there's a very interesting amalgamation perhaps of uh, building a more intuitive digital literacy factor alongside with uh, reducing stigmatization and other factors that can build health literacy so i think the, the uh, rohit there's another aspect to this in terms of you know spreading the gospel hmm. using our companies where people mostly work you know institutions who are hiring people uh, using them and their hr departments uh, mm. to really focus on mental health of employees mm. and this applies to anyone uh, government non government uh, private sector uh, uh, companies i think the huge number of employees you know we are talking about youth 60 to 30 60 to 40 Mm-hmm. Uh, they are also uh, you know have work pressures work challenges in addition to all their other issues so we need to also get companies uh, uh, involved and i think one of the things that was done some time ago uh, in singapore was that some of our senior business leaders uh, actually shared their own personal story of how they went through mental health issues they faced uh, through their working life and how they overcame that and i think that kind of a thing is very brave of them to have said what they said because many of them are icons of the industry here and uh, they have said it and i think it's these are the kind of things that keeps it open the communication open people have an open mind that okay it's okay to have it mm-hmm. we'll overcome it that's the way to look at it so you know there is a whole role for the corporate world uh, to play in this area and i think we shouldn't because they have people are working 8 to 10 hours a day there right in yes. their in their offices or what connected to zoom so we we need to look at that aspect of how does the corporate sector react and i'm pleased to say that actually the they they do in our many programs the corporate sector gets quite involved mm-hmm. uh, in in this area some of them are volunteering some of them are you know the H, the hr departments are using apps Mm. to see if the person is 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 highly stressed yeah uh and you know for them it improves productivity it's not just a, a, a something for charity it improves their productivity it increases retention uh improves the quality of work and quality of life for their employees so it, i think the the hr departments are now getting involved closely in this issue and i'm glad to say that i think that's a challenge that the corporate world is taking up Yeah, but that's a very, very, and I think we need to we need to send it send that message strongly across. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a critical point, Gurjeet. Uh, in fact, uh, in our previous episode, um, for our listeners, uh, you can actually hear uh, uh, someone from the corporate field actually reflecting and talking about a very personal story, which you can watch on our episode four. But let's switch to financial incentives because I think this is a critical part that you brought up here, Gurjeet. That 
Um, Cost-benefit research, so let's get into the numbers again, has shown that there are net benefits to be gained uh, in investing in mental health support, prioritizing destigmatization in mental health, in the workforce, for instance, as you just said. Um, a recent World Health Organization-led study estimates that depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy close to a trillion US dollars each year in lost productivity. Now, beyond showing a clear need for greater expenditure for proper mental health support in the workplace, the results of this study also imply that an improvement in the mental health of employees could lead to, well, you've guessed it, a huge improvement in work productivity. It, it links to what you've said, isn't it? I mean, you would agree that there are therefore initiatives and uh, uh, reasons why uh, the corporate world, Singapore and beyond, would be wanting to drive towards this. Yes, yes. So uh, the corporate world pitches in, the government has to pitch in, the insurance companies and the payers have to pitch in. Uh, I mean, it's uh, sad to know that, uh, you know, mental health treatment uh, don't qualify for insurance, uh, reimbursement and subventions. We haven't looked at uh, the whole issue of uh, MediSave and uh, mm. issue of can they be funded. So I think there is a whole new open space of how should we fund both the prevention, promotion uh, of, of trying to spread the message. So there's that whole area of prevention uh, and how do we fund that? Uh, and then the area of treatments uh, and how do we fund that? And I think uh, all the three uh, have to get involved, uh, the government, uh, the corporate sector, the employers, and the social service agencies. We need to fund social services agencies who can uh, take this issue. Is, then you have this whole area of caregivers. I mean, don't underestimate the problem of caregivers through That's this right. journey. Right. I mean, sometimes they can impact it themselves. Mm. Uh, if you have someone who's had a problem, you know, 24 by seven, I mean, trying to caregive. So, you know, increasingly like in cancer and other uh, diseases, we have caregivers, we look after caregivers and there are social services agencies which are looking at caregivers. Mental health has the same story, in fact, worse for the caregiver. So how do we make, strengthen the caregiver resolve? Mm -hmm. How do we give them a break? If they need a break sometimes, mm -hmm. how do we give them uh, uh, material that they will understand and you know manage the patient in case of an illness? Mm -hmm. uh, how do we do counseling? So I think there is a whole caregiver story in this, which has to be looked at Absolutely. and funding for that uh, program, like we do for other caregivers mm. in the, you know, people who have dementia, and the caregiver, cancer, you know, long things which require long-term treatment and, and the caregiver patients runs out. Yeah. And we have fewer and fewer caregivers now, right? The families are smaller, Singapore is aging. So where are the caregivers? So we need to really see how to fund this. If we have external caregivers required, that will require funding, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's a wide issue of how does insurance pay this? How does our CHAS, Medicaid, MediSave, uh, the IHL, you know, the, the MediShield, those are all those... Uh, areas that we will need to look at in terms of uh, mental uh, health uh, illnesses. And then you have to spend money on 
prevention. Mm. Now, the good news is that we are now treating uh, mental health with physical health as a part of a continuum. So in primary care, we will handle both. And I think that's what uh, our GPs will have to be trained in mental health because as of now, they are seeing mental health patients because the person has both mm. and, and, and they need to be trained as well. So there's a lot of funding will be required to handle this issue. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, and I don't think anyone has got it right. Just saying that private sector will handle it. People will pay out of their own resources. Yeah. No, you can't, just, you can't just throw it on. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to. And I suppose it's an evolution, right? I mean, many diseases were like this, where they were not uh, treated. Caregivers were not looked at. Today, we are seriously looking at those issues. So there are dimensions to this funding issue in prevention and illness. And, and, and most important of it, that we need to expand. I mean, I'm, we are looking to expand IMH. All right. There's a funding requirement for that as well. Mm -hmm. So how do we do it? I mean, how, what do we do? And the other story that we have is uh, long-stay patients. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes families don't want them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, social society uh, agencies find it difficult to do it. So we have them for years in the hospital. Now we need the beds to keep moving, you know, and turnover of beds. So we have a huge problem with long-stay patients. These are the ones with illness mm -hmm. and who are being treated, but some of them don't want to go home. That's right. Or some of the families don't want to take them mm -hmm. because they don't have caregivers who can handle it. Mm -hmm. So where do we have community centers and community hospitals to handle this? So these are the big challenges that we, which are all have to be funded. That's right. I, I do want to reflect on something because it comes as a recurring theme. This is our third season. And for all my friends in the insurance sector who come and say, why do we do so much of insurance bashing on our show? We don't actually, it's actually just a reality that the absenteeism in some respects of insurance and providers needs to be brought to the fore. And we're I think going to look very closely at the role of insurance in subsequent and coming up seasons. Thank you for bringing that up because this is one of those areas that is true both in the mental health stream, but also when it comes to more chronic care conditions, aging and so on. But it's very, very relevant that we need to be looking at the interoperability, one should say, of mental, I guess, uh, resourcing systems, funding criteria. And therefore, I will imagine prioritizations may need to be had, but everyone needs to be hands on deck, really. Um, there, there is, a, I guess, a, a segue into something that uh, we've been trying to piece together in this season, and that is looking at World Health Organization's uh, 2021 framework, which you can find the link for on this uh, episode below. Uh, it's, a, it's a vital one, and I'd encourage all our listeners uh, to, to really go through that. It defines action steps. Girija, you've outlined, I think, several key uh, factors around that. And this report also tries to put down some mitigating strategies. There's about five steps, but I thought I'd bounce off one with you that I thought you've brought a tremendous amount of perspective in the last you know, uh, nearly hour that we've been speaking. And from a policymaking perspective, here's what it says. It says, support the creation and strengthening of associations and organizations of people with mental disorders and psychosocial disabilities, as well as families and carers, and their integration into existing disability organizations and facilitate dialogue 
between these groups, health workers, government authorities in health, human rights, disability, education, employment, the judiciary, and social sectors. Does this echo, I think, your sort of position and in a way the area that uh, Singapore has been sort of building this integrated preventative solution? Well, this is a very large subject that uh, they have addressed. I, let me narrow the focus to mental health. Hmm. I mean, clearly, I like the idea of peer support. We call it peer support. Right. If right. someone who has had and gone through the journey of mental health issues is the best to actually talk to a peer who's going through it. So we are encouraging peer support in our social service sector. Now, I was involved in that some years ago, mm -hmm. and we have seen that. So there's really an advantage of having someone who's gone through it, uh, who can actually take people through it, and there is a credibility behind it. And also intricate knowledge of what a person goes through if he's suffering from these issues, right? So I think that that, that part, I think I have a thing is, is a good solution, using peer support. Creating social services organization for caregivers. Yes, we do it. We have a caregivers alliance. Whether they, you know, whether we extend it to uh, uh, to uh, mental health is now an issue. So I think these two areas is what I could could I could relate to in this. That yes, we need to expand this uh, circle of and and the chat actually does that. Our community health assessment teams actually bring this whole ecosystem together. Uh, you know, some of our case managers are youths who are trained to, and then they track the cases like we do in others. So that's how we, we, we teach people the uh, same thing. We are doing it in, in universities. They're doing it in schools. That's right. Uh, so I think that's huge awareness of the society in general for this issue uh, brings that advantage of, you know, whole of a community effort to address this scourge. Uh, I call it a hidden pandemic. Hidden pandemic, that's right. Gija, we are coming up to our scheduled hour and I think this has been an informative, more than informative perspective on the ways and means that policy uh, mapping, shaping, prioritization. Thank you so much for giving us um, the opportunity to understand uh, the situation that much better. Before we wrap up and close, um, and I leave this with all our uh, speakers to, to offer our listeners um, uh, words of wisdom, uh, parting words, uh, things that would actually help perhaps those listeners going through certain perspectives on anxiety, depression, uncertainty, etc. What would be your um, leave behind for us? I think I would say to people, this is curable. Please talk about it. There is nothing to be scared about. There is nothing to hide. This whole stigmatization is a, is a burden of the past. We need to come out of it. We need to sort of understand it. Society at large is now more and more open to the idea that this, is, this challenge needs to be met. Uh, and I think you will see that increasingly, in, at least in Singapore, we will be moving towards helping uh, more and more people in various ways uh, in, in, in overcoming this. It's not something that can't be overcome. 
it doesn't have to be a block or a, or a, a burden. It just needs to be, uh, you know, read about it, talk about it. There's a lot of material available. There are apps available. Use them and use them well. And you will, you will be able to overcome this. That's what I say. I have seen, as I said to earlier on in the thing, I have seen it in my own family. People overcome it. Thank you. Thank you, Gurjit, for that. Thank you all to all our listeners uh, for listening in. This is our culmination episode, in fact, um, that not just, I would say, wraps up our season. In fact, this is just the beginning. As we know, we build the repository of understandings, perspectives, and what we hope to produce coming out of this is a better perspective and understanding and amplification of the matters uh, and, and move the needle, shift the needle somewhere. Uh, you can find out more about us at the voicesprojectasia.org. You can follow us over at our RSS channels. And as always, to our listeners who write in and show us so much of love and support, your encouragement matters. Thank you so much. Thank you, Girisha, again for your time. And we'll meet again soon. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Rohit. <laughs>